Welcome to the Rent to Retirement Podcast, your resource for passive real estate investing and retirement strategies. If you're new to real estate or planning your financial future, you're in the right place. Join us at renttoretirement.com to find your path to financial freedom and an easy, carefree retirement. Enjoy the show. Hey, Rent to Retires, it's Adam Schrader here with another episode for you. And we are once again joined by the man himself, the founder of the company, Zach Lemaster. Zach, thanks for joining us again today. Absolutely. Very excited to have our guest on today, Adam. Um, we'll get we'll introduce Steve here in a second. But just so everyone is aware, we're going to be talking about one of my favorite topics <laughs> when it comes to real estate investing, which is tax advantages. The tax code is literally written for real estate investors. You know, we all know that the politicians write the tax code to encourage investors to stimulate the economy, to encourage people to go out and do certain actions. So the reason we have these tax advantages in our tax code is not because we're trying to skirt around paying taxes. The government is giving investors a path to follow, to follow certain economic stimulus and to provide different benefits to the overall economy in general. And so this is something that the government encourages us to go out and utilize and do. So we're going to be talking about cost segregation studies today. And this is up there with 1031s, probably, I think, one of the best tax advantages in investing in real estate, as well as something that we personally do every single year. So getting into that, we'll go ahead and introduce Steve. Steve is our cost segregation specialist. He assists investors as well as us personally and myself in doing multiple cost segregations every single year. He just completed two on two uh, commercial acquisitions we did earlier this year, and he'll be um, flying back out with his engineer out here to Denver here later this year, early next year to do another building we're currently acquiring. So we are we are using this as our main really tax strategy. And it's one of the most exciting things to talk about. Some people have heard about it or they want to know how they can use real estate to take a more active role in reducing their taxable income. What we're going to be talking about is not just taking the passive losses to offset rental income, which everyone can do, but this is being a little bit more engaged to actually take accelerated depreciation is what cost segregation is a portion of your depreciation taken in year one to offset your active income. We all know that our, our biggest expense in life is going to be taxes. And anytime we can reduce or delay taxes, that just gives us more immediate capital right now to go out and invest instead of turning it over to Uncle Sam. And that allows us to capitalize on that, that, in, that money that we'd otherwise just turn over to taxes and make a return on that investment. So let's go ahead and get get into it. Steve, thanks so much for joining us. Maybe just start with a quick introduction just about yourself and how you got into real estate and really advising on the cost segregation side. Sure, sure. For me, I'm a licensed Texas real estate broker and, and, a, and a, an investor myself. I have several properties, several projects under uh, under management right now. And cost segregation, I came across this years ago, uh, many through my CPA, and, and it just made sense. Most people, most CPAs aren't aware of it, how it works, what the advantages are. And so as I delved more into it, I found it just made a lot, a lot of sense and everyone should be doing it. It doesn't work for everyone, but by and large, nine out of 10 people, it, it will help. And so I just put a team together and, and built this uh, really great team of engineers and marketing folks like myself that put this together and, and offer this to, to the public. That's outstanding. And so I know you and I have connected, you know, years back, just talking about different 
know, real estate opportunities and, and looking at different things. And of course, we've we've had you do cost segregation studies on multiple properties that we've personally acquired. You've done cost segregation studies for many of our investors. I think one misconception out there is that cost segregation studies are so expensive, they're not worth it. And you can't do them on single family residences or a normal investment property. They have to be this really expensive commercial property, which is, which is not accurate. We have many people that are doing cost segregation studies on a single family residence, um, as well as larger scale commercial, multifamily, commercial retail office, whatever the case is, you can do cost segregation studies on anything um, if it fits your tax planning um, strategy. And so, and also the cost of the cost segregation is applicable to, you know, really kind of what the, what the overall uh, acquisition price of the property is. I think that uh, it's very affordable to do a cost segregation on a single family, um, whereas something that's, you know, a multi-million dollar commercial property is going to be a little bit more expensive. But of course, the, the tax savings that come along with that is more expensive. But let's go ahead and just define, like, what is a cost segregation study? If maybe I'll, I'll talk about kind of my understanding of it, and then you can correct me or, or add anything to that, Steve. But basically what it is is accelerated depreciation. And I'll let you talk a little bit about the tax code and the, the history of cost segregation. But breaking it down very simply, what you're doing is taking a portion of the depreciation instead of over 27 and a half years for residential or 39 years for commercial, you're taking a large portion of that in year one and the rest of it, you you take on normal depreciation schedules, but the a good portion of it you're taking in, in year one to offset your your active income. And this is actually a study. This is a, you have an engineer that goes out and evaluates the property and gives you a list of certain things that you can take accelerated depreciation on in year one to be able to reduce. And you turn that over to your CPA to be able to reduce your taxable income for, for that year. So it's simply a study to do accelerated depreciation. Is that accurate? And anything else you'd like to add to that? It is, but just the nuts and bolts of it. Basically, if you take a look at a building or a house, whichever it happens to be, let's use a house, for example, and uh, you can typically 27, 27 and a half years is the normal time frame for a depreciation on a piece of property, less the value of the, of the, the land, which is not depreciable. But in that, in that structure, there's a lot of components that really don't have a 27 and a half year life, and that's where cost segregation came from. So if you've got a cabinets, carpet, tile, uh, things of that nature that make up the component, which is 20 to 30% of, the, of the, the, the asset, that should be a shorter life. So without cost segregation and injury study, you can't do that. It's a straight 27 and a half year. And you'd be surprised how many people just put theirs on this 27 and a half year schedule and don't take advantage of the five, seven, or 15 year property. And that's what cost segregation does. We, we, we go in and, and pick, the, pick it apart or segregate the assets, the best way to put it. And then, accelerate 20 to 30%. I usually say 20 on the low side because I'd rather under-promise over-deliver. And we usually come in 25 to 30%. And that's taken all of those components I mentioned and as we go through with engineering study and, and accelerate those. One of the advantages right now is the bonus depreciation. I think it's 2017 uh, up through 2022. I'm sorry, 2015 through 22. You can take of the five, seven, and fifteen year property. You can take a hundred percent of that this year up to twenty two, and certain twenty three will go to eighty percent. It starts to go down from there, unless they renew it. So typically, in cost segregation, you take an asset and you you'll have your five, your seven, your fifteen, and your twenty seven and a half year or thirty nine, whichever it happens to be. 
still a great thing to do. You want to do that, but with bonus, you get all of the that that twenty to thirty percent that we bring forward now. You get it today. So anybody that's listening to this, if you have an asset or a property, you want to do as much of this as you can in twenty twenty two. And even 2023, and it doesn't mean you stop after that because, again, taking five-year depreciation or seven or fifteen over twenty-seven and a half or thirty-nine is still a great benefit. It's just right now it's really a great time to do it with the bonus depreciation. Let me just summarize that because we talked about a lot of kind of technical timelines and things like this. So basically, what a study is, and and you have to have a study done because it's actually required by you know, tax code to actually go in and enlist the things that are in a five-year depreciation category, a 10-year. Well, basically what this is saying is everything in the house does not depreciate at the same timeline. Not everything is going to depreciate over 27 and a half years. Again, we have no idea where that number came from. It's very strange, but it is what it is. So carpet and, you know, cabinets, like you said, certain materials and things in the house are going to depreciate quicker, obviously, than 27 and a half years. So what a study does is go goes through and picks out all those items that can depreciate. You can depreciate quicker. And then there's what's called a bonus depreciation, which again is through 2022. However, that could easily be reinstated, um, which I'm thinking probably will be as, a, again, an economic stimulator. But what, what can happen is you can take your, your five or 15 year depreciation items that are identified in the cost segregation study, and you can take all of those in year one. So you, you talked about a 20 to 30% on average. So if we have a $100,000 house, we've already separated out land. So it's just $100,000 worth of improvement. What we're really talking about is taking a 20000 to $30,000 reduction from doing a cost segregation in year one. And so that's actually reducing your active income, which can be not just real estate related, um, if I understand this correctly, to reduce your your active income by twenty to thirty thousand dollars in in year one by doing this study. Now you need to qualify as a real estate professional, and we'll we'll talk about that. Um, but basically, you know, that's that's the benefit you're taking that depreciation deduction in in year one. Is that accurate? Correct. Correct. Yeah. So at what point, in your opinion, with the, you know, Zach talked about how people think of cost segs as being so ridiculously expensive, um, because I think it, people haven't realized that it shifted and single families can also make sense. At what point, at what home value do you think that it generally starts making the most sense for single family residences? Well, based on it, let's go back and talk for a second about the two different types of cost segregation. There's the what we call the full-blown cost segregation on like the buildings that Zach has purchased, the large commercial properties. And that was typically what people used for years. Anything under 500000 we do that through what's called an empirical modeling project. We take all of our cost segregation studies over a number of years, and this passes muster with the IRS, and we follow the same guidelines, but we don't, we're not doing site, physical site visits. It's less work on the engineers so we can reduce our cost and do it basically from our desktop um, and use the statistical data that we've gathered to Chris when we can reduce the price on that. So anything under $500,000, is around $1,500 to do that versus when you do a $2, 3000000 million commercial building, you're, you're in the eight to 10000 maybe even 15000 right? depending on the, the property and the complexity of the study. So we're able to take through our modeling project on the, that's how we do the residential. So in my opinion, you know, something 50000 probably not. 100000 and up is probably a good number. 
And what I, our process is we go in, whether it's a commercial building for a hundred million dollars or it's a $300,000 home, we do a, 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 a cost segregation estimate to give you an idea of what the benefit would look like based on the conservative side. You weigh that against the cost and, it, and it's just an economic decision at that point. Does it make sense to spend $1,500 to get 30,000 depreciation? I think it does, but it just, it's up to the individual. And that's, we like to get the CPA involved, uh, so they know what we're doing they're on the same page we're on so the client's not saying look what i have here to take a look at this i want them to be involved if they can be from day one so they understand it and then they can look at the individual tax situation and say does it help me or not and if you're a real estate professional i promise you it does uh, and even just from its pure uh, investor if you're not a real estate professional where you cannot use the other order of income it's always worked out it's nine times out of ten it's a good it's a really good thing so let's just run through those numbers one more time. What did okay. you say when you're doing the empirical model for like a residential, let's say a one or $200,000 house, what would be an expected cost for the study to be done? Uh, up to half a million dollar uh, residential, uh, $1,500 is the, is the, it's a flat charge. We charge all across the board because it's about the same amount of work that we do, whether it's a hundred thousand or 500,000, we do this from our desktop through our, our database. So it's a lot, a lot less work on our part, but we create the same result. And just another part of which is important to me is we, we defend the study. Uh, we, we follow IRS guidelines, the audit technique guide uh, to the letter. And so if there's ever a question, uh, we've been before the IRS several times and defended studies, never lost one. And that's, that's probably hard to hear, but that's the truth never have because we follow the guidelines. And so when, uh, if something comes up, there's a question, we go before the IRS, it's typically it's a phone call to go through everything uh, and and defend what we've done based on historical data, if it's the, the smaller properties or based on the actual facts of what we've done to, on, on the larger studies. And that's an important thing to talk about too, is uh, someone's wondering, you know, what is, is on the tax side, you know, is this going to increase my chances for audit? Um, you know, what are the potential consequences? I mean, the big picture here is this is, this is not a, a tax loophole that someone is trying to skirt by. This is following tax code. And, and again, following exactly what the IRS is encouraging people to do to improve the economy and, and follow certain, um, you know, metrics that they need for, for new construction, for builds, you know, for really in, investors to go out and take an active role and stimulate the economy. So this is something that I, I want to make that abundantly clear. That we're following the tax code. And this is an important part of being a savvy investor is understanding what benefits you have as a real estate investor. So I just want to run through these numbers one more time because it's I like to talk numbers and I think it's important that people kind of conceptualize the, the benefits here. So up to $500,000 on any property, it cost them maybe $1,500 to do the study. So Correct. if we, and we'll say we just remove the land out of it for simplicity purposes, usually land I think is between 10 to 15%. I know on, on my commercial acquisitions, we just pretty, pretty much put it at, at 15%. And right. so take, take the uh, purchase price times 85%. But going back to the numbers here, let we have a, let's say a $500,000 house, land's already removed. Take that at 30% of, of the improvements. That's $150,000 that someone could potentially reduce their taxable income by. That means, again, if they're a real estate professional, that means $150,000 of earned income is going to be offset by doing the cost segregation study. If they're in the 39% tax bracket, <laughs> That's you know about sixty thousand dollars, yeah. yeah, of mm -hmm. actual taxes. Money. 
Yeah, they would otherwise pay. And again, when you're reducing your taxable income, you obviously restart at the top tax brackets. As our tax brackets are tiered, you know, wow. you're you're going to be reducing your income to the lower tax brackets. So it's it's always the offset, you know, the higher tax brackets first. In theory, if you bought enough real estate, you could offset and did, and did cost segregation studies on all of them. In theory, you could reduce your taxable income to zero. And then if you had additional cost segregations, it does roll over into next year. Is that accurate? Let's say it does. Let's say it I had $150,000 of income and I bought, you know, over $500,000 of real estate that year. And so I don't pay any taxes because of the cost segregation studies. Um, but let's say I bought more than $500,000. So I have additional depreciation that I can roll over into next year's offset as well. Correct. Correct. You'll have a loss carry forward. Yeah, that'll go against ordinary income, or if it's long term, or if it's or if it's ordinary, whichever it is. But either way, you have the, that rolls over to the following years until you use it. So going back to that example, fifteen hundred dollars to reduce your taxable income by one hundred fifty thousand dollars to potentially reduce sixty thousand dollars in hard taxes makes sense. I mean, there, well, there's it, no question about it. Well, even if you're in a let's just use a ridiculous bracket like ten percent, that's fifteen thousand you're saving. For fifteen hundred dollars, that's a pretty good trade-off to me. And in uh, the, and the yeah. the cost segregation study itself, I mean, should be also a tax offset. You know, we, we, right. I know you're not it a is. CPA; we won't get too much into taxes, but that's a business expense. So, I mean, you got to look at that that aspect of it as well. You know, half of that probably, or thirty nine percent of that, is going to be also a tax deduction. So, sure, um, th these are all key points to note. So, I think a lot of people, a lot of our investors. They're not at the point where they're they're buying large commercial assets. Maybe at, at one point that is the goal, but they're buying you know one to three hundred thousand dollar houses, and they're building a portfolio of these. Mm -hmm. And so I think the question is, do do they do this? Is this as important for them to do? And so maybe let's let's focus on that investor in mind that has five doors. They're acquiring three to five houses, kind of in that one to three hundred thousand dollar range, and they're wondering how do I use how do I reduce my taxable income? So let's kind of talk about the the requirements to do a cost segregation study and also the, you know, what they need to be aware of on the back end because depreciation is recapturable. And right. so if you sell the property in one to two years, you, you'll, yes, you'll have that one year of depreciation because you've owned it for that one year. But if you're taking 30% in year one, you're going to be paying taxes back. And so it's important that you know your exit strategy when you're running the cost segregation study. Now, I guess the first question I have, you can, move forward your accelerated depreciation through 1031s, correct? Correct. You can. So that's, that's it, it, it is going to offset your, it's, it's going to go against the purchase price of your next asset. So if you buy something, if you, for whatever number, the number is, that's going to offset the actual cost from a depreciation standpoint. Uh, as an example, we, we just finished one and I think the correct position was 5.4 million. They had 2.8 or 2.9 million in 1031 money, so we reduced the acquisition cost by that amount. They still got a really good benefit, but they're not depreciating the four or 5.4 million dollars as they would in a typical transaction. There's where there's no 1031, but either way, they're still offsetting. They're not recapturing personally. They're moving it over into another asset, and they're getting some benefit. At some point in time, that may diminish to where it doesn't make sense. That's kind of where the estimate comes into play, so they can take a look at the estimate and see if it makes sense. Uh, for, for them to do that. I always say that if the only time it doesn't really make sense, it, it, two things. If they don't need the tax deduction, which I don't know that that really exists, <laughs> most of us could use that. And second, if they're going to sell it in one, maybe two years, probably not worth the money, but it doesn't hurt to take a look at the estimate. But I would say probably not. Uh, and a, a couple other things, and we'll, we'll probably cover this, but 
this doesn't this is not just new acquisitions if you've owned a property for two or three years and and you're still in you whatever your schedule looks like we can accelerate and catch up the depreciation that that we could have taken three years ago so forget the bonus if you've had a property for five years we can go back and, and bring all that five year forward. You get that today, whatever is left of the five years. So that's that's in addition to the bonus. Uh, so that it, it doesn't have to be a brand new acquisition or new new or new construction. It can be any asset, whatever. Whether you just purchased it or you're waiting or you've had it on the books for a few years. That's yeah. a huge. That's a huge point. Thank you for bringing that up, Steve. Because. Yes, uh, we kind of focus on new acquisitions, but if you have a real estate portfolio, you can still do cost segregations on them. And then mm-hmm. it's if you, you know, if you're flipping properties within a year, probably not something you're you're looking at right. doing. I mean, in, in theory, you could offset your flip um, acquisition income from buying other properties that you do cost segregation on. But you with sure that, can do that, yeah, right. But with that specific property, you know, it probably doesn't make sense. But when you sell a property, you do have recapturable depreciation which can be offset further with doing a 1031. So those two things combined, cost segregation and 1031, are an exceptional way to maximize your tax benefits on on real estate ownership and building your portfolio over time. And of course, that's why it's important to have a professional like yourself to be running the estimates and advising on this as, as well as a CPA. I know Adam has some questions, so I'll let, I'll let him jump in and I won't hog the, the conversation here. I, I love this. This is the most exciting part about investing in real estate, real estate for me. I don't care about cash flow anymore. Yes, it's important, but I, I hate paying exorbitant amount of taxes. I just, I don't know anyone that really enjoys it. Um, you know, so this is a huge, huge benefit and it just help, helps you expedite your goals because that's more money you have year one to reinvest. Right. Sure. And so instead of paying the money, you can go out and reinvest it and earn income on that money by building out your portfolio and then also doing cost segregations on those and 10 to 31s on those. So there's a snowball effect that you just have to keep keep uh, paying attention to and keep doing. So I want to talk about the real estate professional status and what someone needs to qualify. But Adam, why don't you go ahead and jump in with your questions? Well, Steve just stole the one I was about to ask about if it was only new acquisitions. But uh, one of my questions is when it comes to getting your cost seg done, how does it impact your future years? Because most most people are used to you know the tw- just dividing by twenty seven and a half and dealing with that. If I'm taking you know say twenty percent year one, am I then the other twenty six and a half years just taking the remaining eighty and dividing it by twenty six and a half? Or how does that usually impact that? Because like you said, I mean, let's say I got this cost seg done and then I have to fire one CPA and move to the next. How complicated is it going to be for them to? handle the future years it, it's it's going to be a depreciation schedule that the, the previous cpa had, had, had used so that they'll, they'll base it on that i, I ran a couple of numbers this morning just to give you an idea to address that take a two hundred thousand dollar piece of property and use 15 percent for land you're depreciating 170 if you're taking that over 27 and a half year that's 6182 a year that so that's if you're just doing traditional depreciation that's what you'd have if you do cost segregation you're taking 42.5 I'm using I'm using a, a 25% somewhere in the middle. That's 425 you're taking first year. And then after that you take the balance of 1275. That's the 170 minus 425. You're taking that divided by 27 and a half, you're still at forty six hundred dollars a year in depreciation. So it you still you're still gonna get it. It's just, you're just gonna take the bonus of the, the, the majority of it first year, which makes sense. I mean you're gonna get depreciation either way. 
So it's time value of money. I mean, do you want to keep your money now or, or, or pay it in and let them do with what they want to do with it? Yeah. And it's also, I mean, I want to remind people, we're not holding these properties for 27 and a half years, you know, right. for the most part, you know, we're selling these properties well before that happens. So in reality, if you're not, if you're eligible to do this and you're not doing it, you're really just, I mean, cheating yourself in a lot of ways, because you're leaving all that depreciation on the table that would have come into play you know, 15, 20 years after you were to sell the property, you're just missing that original, you know, big chunk that can come up front. Yeah. In that example, you're, you're taking either 61, 6,000 or 42,000. So I'd, I'd rather have the 42 personally. So. Well, yeah, because then you can go out and, and reinvest that 42 and then, you know, mm-hmm. have, have a return on that yeah. and in additional yeah. tax benefits of that. Yeah. You know, there's this exp- that's how you get this exponential growth. Mm-hmm. And for everyone listening, again, this is this is something we are personally doing. Steve personally does cost segregation studies on all the assets that that I buy, which is multiple per year. We keep them busy. So um, you know, this, <laughs> and, I, this, and I appreciate that too. Yeah. <laughs> that's very important. I mean, this is exciting stuff. Yeah. And it's strategic stuff. This is where you get on to the kind of higher level thinking of how do you really grow your portfolio to the next level? It's capital is the most limiting factor for every single person in acquiring their next property and, and building up. How do you take, you know, how do you be strategic to increase your portfolio over time and have more money to reinvest? Well, if you're in the, you know, 30 to 40% tax bracket and you do some of this stuff and qualify for it, that's 30 to 40% that you can use to, to acquire more properties and then also have an additional stream of cash flow and have a new depreciation schedule and use leverage to have the tenant pay it down. You know, so there's all sorts of benefits to this, but it's, it's really about understanding the tax code is one of the most important things for scalability over time. Just to review what you kind of talked about last time, because I could see someone who's just learning about this getting kind of lost in the numbers. I always want to kind of bring it back and just break it down very simply. So with a, with a property that you're taking accelerated depreciation on, same thing as a cost segregation, you're accelerating, call it 30% of the depreciation year one, you're still getting the 70% of depreciation over the normal uh, 27 and a half years that you own that residential property. So you're still getting that depreciation, you're just taking a good portion of it in, in year one to offset that income, right? Correct. And so let's let's just talk about what depreciation is for someone that's kind of brand new learning about this depreciation basically is IRS code stating that even though houses appreciate over time in, in value and we're using leverage to acquire them, they are a physical asset that wears out over time. You know, you have to replace things like roof, carpet, mechanicals over time. Again, even though we won't hold the property likely for 30 plus years, as Adam mentioned, so we may not actually be replacing those items. We're taking a, a percentage of the, the property value that you acquired at each year as a tax deduction. That's normal. Everyone should be doing that. And that, that offsets for the average investor. If you just buy one rental property, your depreciation is offsetting the income for that property. Now, if you're qualified as a real estate professional and do cost segregation, you can actually translate that for, from a passive to an active offset. So if someone is a doctor or attorney or lawyer out there, or consultant, engineer, whatever, earning income, but they also qualify as a real estate professional or they have a spouse and they're filing taxes jointly that qualifies as a real estate professional, then they can, you know, take that income to offset their professional income. Is that accurate, Steve? Correct. You can. That's a huge thing. 
that, that, that that's a, I would encourage anyone to get with their CPA immediately and find out what you, you need to do to qualify for that because it only makes sense to do that. It's not difficult. You, it, there's a tracking mechanism. There's a time you have to spend, but you have to track that and verify it. But any, anyone that's investing in real estate really should look at the real estate professional uh, designation. It's not that difficult to do. So let's move in to talk about that. But just real quick on the depreciation aspect. So normal depreciation, which everyone is taking, that's just a normal part of owning real estate. Let's say $100,000 house you're buying. Divide that. Again, we removed land out of it. It's 27 and a half years. Take 100000 divided by 27 and a half years. And that's the amount that you're taking. It's $3,636 per year that you're reducing the income on the property by and the taxable income each year. Um, so with a cost segregation study, you're just taking more of that in year one and then reducing the amount that you normally take for the, for the remainder of the years that you own the property. And again, those can be 1031 if you sell that property, which most people will. I mean, I think average holding time for our investors is three to six years uh, because the house is going up in value. You're, the tenant's paying the loan down. You're building equity through appreciation and debt reduction. So it probably makes sense at some point to sell that asset before you have to go in and replace the roof and things like this, you know, past 10 to 15 years to then go in and sell the property 1031 that into to more assets. So again, that's getting a little complicated and that's where we bring in your CPA and professionals like Steve to help you build out that plan as, as well as our team. Um, but that's kind of the idea. And so this is, this is a huge benefit, but the big question is, okay, how, how, do, how do people do this? How do they qualify for this? They have to qualify as a real estate professional and we'll let you talk about that and in, in your opinion, Steve, but in general, the, the biggest question we get is, okay, so I should go out and get my real estate license, um, you know, so I can be a real estate professional. And that's not accurate. You don't have to be a licensed real estate professional. Uh, it's, it's all about time allocation. This is not something you apply for to be qualified as a real estate professional. This isn't something your CPA checks off for you. This is something you tell your CPA and they're going to advise you based on the qualifying criteria. We did another video, which we'll link. Uh, that Sam covered exactly what what the uh, qualifying criteria is to be a real estate professional, but it's really about a time allocation. In, in my opinion, again, I'm not a CPA or real estate attorney, but in, in general, I mean, if you own enough real estate and you have enough time dedicated to your real estate portfolio, you should be able to qualify as a real estate professional. Or if you're not actively involved, but you have a spouse that can be a little bit more involved, they can qualify as a real estate professional. Again, it's not, you don't apply for it. It's, it's, not, it's a self defined classification that you inform your CPA, you can, your CPA is not telling you if you're a real estate professional, you can ask them what the qualifying criteria is, but really it's about the time. So there's, there's things we won't cover this in great detail here. Again, we did another video and we encourage everyone to talk to their CPA and attorney if they, if they need to, to, if they have questions, but really, I mean, there's this 750 hours a year that's dedicated to um, real estate related activities. This can be management, it can be rehabbing properties. It's a real estate related activity. You have to have 750 hours per year that's documented. You know, even education falls into that category, watching this video. You know, so this is something that you have to qualify. And there's an income from real estate that's also associated with this. So look into that and we'll post a link to that video. But basically, if someone can qualify for that, that opens them up to being able to take advantage of, of doing the cost segregation study and this accelerated depreciation. No one's going to be asking if you qualify as a real estate professional. You just have to defend that potentially if the IRS were to audit you, which is, I think, extremely rare in the 
in, in this space that we're talking about. This isn't like claiming a, again, I'm not a CPA, but this isn't like claiming a home office deduction where it's like all of a sudden you're in a higher, much higher audit category. Um, this is something we don't see a lot of audits on, at least from our colleagues that we've worked with. We've never been audited, but it's important that you, you know, if you're, if you're stating a real estate professional, you would have to defend that. Is that kind of how it works in your mind, Steve? Or is there anything you want to add to that? Certainly. It comes down to tracking time. You're tracking this roughly 15 hours a week, tracking your time. And, and uh, uh, as long as you, you, as we do with the studies, we have to be able to defend the studies by, by following the guidelines. The same thing with the real estate professional. If you follow the guidelines and track your time and have the documentation to defend that, you should be fine. Again, that goes back to you individually, it's your CPA, working through your individual situation. Everybody's different. Same thing with the cost segregation study. I mean, that, that's what the, the, the CPA can tell you. Yeah, you need this or you don't. And if they say, tell you you don't, then they can explain why. Um, so does, have, Go ahead, sorry. I, I haven't seen that happen, but that's where your CPA is probably. They, they know your situation better than any, any of us. And so we have the tools to, to offer you to, to do these things. But that's where your CPA comes involved to help you maximize your benefits from being a real estate investor. So it's about meeting the qualification criteria and the time allocated to real estate related activities. Nothing about being a licensed agent or anything like this. It's no, just I, th- I, th- I think if you have a license, like as I mean, I'm a, I'm a real estate broker, that probably helps because I, it's easy to justify what I do, but you don't have to do that. I mean, for to be, being a real estate investor and having a license, probably isn't a bad thing to do. I'm not trying to promote a real estate license here, but I mean, probably not a bad. But that's not going to in itself qualify you to be a real estate professional. So you don't Perfect. need to, yeah. Yeah, I think the idea here, really, in my opinion, and the advice that I give to a lot of our investors is that if you own enough real estate and you're actively involved in acquiring those real estate managing, even having a property manager, you got to manage your manager. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's pretty easy to rack up those 750 hours. Um, I mean, Adam, what is that per per week? If we can run some math, it's roughly 15. 15, yeah. 15 hours per week. So 14, 15 mm-hmm. hours a week and you're in. And then again, that can be education. That can be phone calls with your property manager. I mean, if you document whatever, that can be running your accounting and just doing your books. I mean, if you're doing real estate related activities, it's a pretty broad definition yeah. from what I read. I mean, is if the goal here is if you own enough real estate, my opinion, it, everyone should be doing this. You would easily qualify for a real estate professional status by just acquiring enough properties and being engaged in the, the you know, the activity of those properties to be able to qualify for these, these benefits. And then again, this is not something you fill out an application for and someone says, okay, you know, there's no testing. You're a real estate professional. Yeah. It's just a matter of you documenting those and informing your CPA that you are qualifying because of this criteria and asking for their opinion. Um, but a lot of people are, I've talked to have said, oh, my CPA said I'm not a real estate professional. And, and I get that. Okay. And it's, I'm not contradicting what your CPA, but it's important to be working with the CPA, like everyone in your investing network, you need to have people that are one familiar with real estate and these advantages, and also that are familiar with your goals. It's important to have a CPA that's telling you how to qualify as a real estate professional instead of saying, no, you don't qualify. I think that's what goes with anything, but it's important to know that, you know, what is the qualifying criteria? And so if, if you have enough real estate, you should be able to qualify for that. And keeping that in mind, I mean, not all CPAs are familiar with this. So uh, for me, I, I, uh, the CPA I use is a real estate, you know, he understands real estate. He's also a real estate investor. So he knows how to help me get through, navigate the, the, the uh, tax waters on this. So I think it's important that you have a CPA that, that like I said, that doesn't tell you you can't qualify. It tells you how you can qualify. 
that also understands real estate and how to get you the best tax advantages from being a real estate investor. Now, I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this, but is there a limit to how many cost segregation studies you can run in a year? No. Yeah, I didn't think there would be, but yeah. I just wanted to make sure for people who were buying, you know, if they were coming in with their initial big burst of money and, you know, buy 10 properties, just making sure that there's not an IRS limit saying, you know, you can't do more than this. So. I have, a client, I have a, a client in South Texas. I mean, he buys millions and millions of dollars of, and, and, and we do studies on every one of them. So, uh, again, that's going back to a tax question from a CPA, but from my knowledge, no, there's not a limit. All right. Well, this is, uh, I, I think also just important to know who this, who this would be apply to. And basically this is anyone that pays taxes, um, mm -hmm. which I'm pretty sure is, is everyone out there. Um, this would be a potential benefit for them if they're able to qualify again, cost segregation studies are taking accelerated depreciation to offset your, your active income. I encourage everyone, if they're exploring this to talk with their CPA, talk with our team about building a strategy and look at how they can implement this. The first thing is qualifying as a real estate professional, which I think the first thing before that is actually owning real estate and, and being an active investor because that's what you need to qualify for. And, and then going out and buying the real estate and then using the tax advantages to offset, offset your active income. A lot of people that this makes a lot of sense for are individuals that are not active investors. They're you know, they're in this, a lot of our clients will fall into this category that they want to be active investors. They don't have a lot of real estate, but they're high paid professionals. Uh, this mm -hmm. is, these are doctors, lawyers, attorneys, engineers, whatever, anyone that's uh, sales consultants, anyone that's earning, you know, six figure income or not, you don't have to be earning six figure income. anyone that's paying taxes and that wants to own rental property and kind of move into, or have a spouse that, you know, kind of manages the properties and oversees a portfolio and is doing real estate related activities to offset the income of someone in that, you know, that is earning income outside of real estate. That's where the huge benefit comes is that you can translate those passive losses into active income. As far as the tax benefits, is there anything else I kind of just in general, Steve would like to know, in your opinion, is there anything else out there in real estate that comes close or anything else tax deduction wise or tax code wise that would come close to offering the opportunity or the tax benefits that cost segregations do? I mean, we talked about 1031s, maybe things like investing in opportunity zones potentially, but I mean, is there anything else out there that would be up there with as powerful as cost segregation studies and offsetting taxable income? You know, there's oil and gas and things of that nature. I don't know how that works, but I hear there's benefits from that, but I think it's a lot of risk. For me, we, we moved full-time real estate about four years ago, got out of the stock market, and do nothing but real estate investing for several reasons. One, the tax advantages. Two, you have a hard asset. It's not the stock that's going to go up and down with the whims of the market. And uh, the cash flow, the, the cash from cash returns, or just, to me, I'm biased, but there's no other place to put your money uh, I'm, I'm having my, my children move in this direction. I'm trying to get them move in that direction because I just think it's the best place to put your money. Um, and there are ups and downs of real estate, as we all know, but it's just you've got a hard asset that isn't going to go away. And and the tax advantages, you can zero, basically zero your income, the income taxes, I should say. It, it's, a, it's the best place, for, in my opinion, to put your money is in real estate and then and then take advantage of the tax, uh, the tax advantages of real estate. I love that. In theory, if you buy enough real estate and you, and you qualify as a real estate professional and do the cost segregation study, 
you could pay no taxes. You could completely wipe out your tax liability from all sources. Right. That you is that, that is incredible. I mean, that and is then, just, and then you ten thirty one your gains uh, moving forward, and then I think the best thing I've got, you can probably tell I'm the older one of the group here. The best thing for me is my kids and grandkids. Uh, our portfolio of real estate will go to them when we're when we're not here any longer, and with a step up basis, they'll they'll pay no tax on on the uh, that, and they can continue to do the same thing and reduce their tax liability and then the wealth versus you've got a portfolio of stocks and you transfer that to your, your heirs. I mean, they're going to pay tax on that to a certain amount with real estate that they're going to continue to keep the portfolio without having to come out of pocket to pay tax based on a step up basis. It's just to me, one of the best things to do from an investment standpoint is I real mean, estate. Now we're talking about building generational wealth, but yeah. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? I think that would spark some interest in a lot of people because the question is, you know, when our time on this earth is done and we have our, our children and heirs that we're passing our portfolio to, what what type of tax implications would would they have um, at that point in time? So talk a little bit, and again, not as a CPA, we're not going to hold you to that, but in general, from your understanding yeah. with Step Up and things like, just talk about that, please. I was about to do the CPA disclaimer, but you did it for me. <laughs> so basically, just to use easy math, say you, say you have an, a portfolio, you have a half a million bucks, that's your basis in it, That for, after depreciation and whatever it is, just half a million bucks, and you pass away 10 years later, it's worth a million and a half. They, the value steps up to a million and a half for the heirs. They, they, they don't have the million-dollar gain. If I were to sell it while I'm alive and not 1031, I got a million-dollar gain. I'm going to pay tax on that. If it passes to your heirs, it steps up to the million and a half uh, dollar gain. So they're not paying the tax on that million dollar gain that we have. And that, 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 that would be the out. case with stocks or many other assets. Yeah. So, I mean, that's that's an exceptional. I mean, if you just look at all things real estate combined, I mean, the, the tax code, especially, there's nothing else that compares. <clears throat> I mean, even investing in a 401k or self-directed IRA or what I mean, whatever the case is, there's there's caps on that per year that you can mm -hmm. do, right? I mean, there, right. you can only take so, you can only contribute so much and take so much tax deduction. And in my opinion, it's fairly minimal. And then on right. top of that, you have the government telling you when you can take that money back out to actually use it. And it's um, all taxable when you take it out. <laughs> so that, yeah. that's the worst part, yeah. There's a reason, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. we, we talked about this plenty and there's a reason I don't have a 401k and I don't contribute to mm -hmm. those assets or a self-directed IRA. First of all, yeah, I don't believe in them. Uh, I don't like the government controlling my money. I'm not saying most people do. And I encourage you, especially if you get an employer match, do that. But I don't have the reason to because we do so much cost segregation studies, which mm -hmm. are more beneficial. So, right. I mean, there's it's, it's just about understanding it and building out a, an appropriate plan. And, you know, involving people taking action, involving people like yourself, adding to your network of professional investors that are actually doing this. Steve, sure. this has been exceptional. As you know, um, just from personally working with you, this is one of my favorite things to talk about real estate. This is <laughs> our tax buying strategy, buying real estate, running cost segregations, offsetting our taxable income, and then 1031ing over time, building generational wealth. This has been exceptional. Thank you for, so much for joining us. Adam, any uh, parting comments or questions for Steve? My parting comment is it blew my mind whenever you said this was your favorite topic in real estate originally because um, well, it's not the most talked about or exciting thing in the world. But if you've listened to this episode and don't believe this is Zach's favorite thing about real estate, then <laughs> I suggest you listen again and listen to his voice whenever he's talking about it. Um, 
But yeah, Steve, thanks so much for joining us today. For everybody else, if you want to get a hold of him, head on over to renttoretirement.com. Reach out to us. We will help put you in touch with him. That's renttoretirement.com. You can also contact us about anybody else you want to add to your real estate team. You can also look at the properties that are available there and see if there's one that you like that you can use for the cash flow. And potentially, if you're a real estate professional, use uh, the cost segregation study on. So that's renttoretirement.com. We appreciate you listening and we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Rent to Retirement podcast, your number one resource for wealth building, real estate investing, and stress-free retirement strategies. Continue your real estate education and invest with us at renttoretirement.com.